Well, the last time we met, we saw the life of Samson unfolding. And it wasn't unfolding in a direction that we or I would say is pleasing to the Lord. You know, we know that Samson was a man of faith because we see his name mentioned in Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith. So we know that he had faith in God. But we had said that he's not a faithful man. He, he, was, he had faith in God, but he, he certainly wasn't faithful to his parents because when he wanted to marry a Philistine, they tried to persuade him against doing that, and he said, no, go get her for me. And he certainly wasn't faithful to his Nazarite vow. Remember, he was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth, and as a Nazarite, he was supposed to stay away from any fruit of the vine, any wine, grapes, raisins, anything that have, having to do with the fruit of the vine or the vine. And uh, he was supposed to stay away from uh, dead bodies, dead people, dead animals, anything having to do with dead. And he was also supposed to, not supposed to shave his head or to cut his hair. He was supposed to grow from birth. And uh, we saw him violate two of those three vows uh, last time we met. He was in the vineyard, and he was also around the dead lion as he reached in and got the honeycomb out of the lion, then gave that to his mother and father as well. So his life is, is being used by God, is, is, you know, God is beginning to use him to, to, uh, to come against the Philistines. But I, I think I see him, when I, when I look at the life of Samson, as, when I remember him from Sunday school as a little kid, it, he was always kind of a hero. He was always kind of the strong guy who pushed the temple over. But really, when you read his whole life that's contained in these three chapters, he's not really much of a hero. I, I think it's a life that's really kind of, kind of wasted. You know, yeah, God used him. Yes, he accomplished some things. and Yes, he did some things, but, but his behavior was, was deplorable, you know. And I, I think that we're going to see tonight that, that there is grace from the Lord because he's putting up with somebody like Samson, you know. But there also is a point where God's going to say, that's enough. It's not going to happen anymore. I cannot let this continue. So if you pick up with me in chapter 16, now Samson went to Gaza and he saw a harlot there, and he went into her. He's not starting off good. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place, and they lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it is day, when it's daylight, we shall kill him. So understand that Samson's reputation has gone before him. Word has gotten out that this guy is destroying Philistines. Word has gotten out about his incredible strength. I mean, he's, he's, it, it, they know he's here. We've got him, they figure. He's, look what he's doing there. What's he, what's he thinking? Why is he doing something like that? Because Samson is a man that's led by his flesh. And that's where his flesh is leading him. What was he doing down there? He was going to seek sexual pleasure. It was clear. They make it very clear that's what he's doing. And the Philistines think, all right, we've got him. We've got him barricaded in the city. And back in those days, the cities were walled cities, and they had big wooden gates that they would actually close at the night. And that, that, that was to keep people in, but it was also to keep the enemy out. And these gates were, were huge, and they were heavy. And they figure, and the translation here says in verse 2, when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night. Some scholars believe it should actually be translated all day at the gate of the city, then they were quiet at night, which means they, they believed the gates in the city would keep him in until morning. And then their plan was, let's go home and get some rest, and we'll gather back up in the morning, and when the gates open up, we'll be there. And the city gates in, in a city was where everything happened. 
It's where the leaders would meet. It was where things were discussed. It was, it, was the, it was the key happening place of a city back in that day. You would go to the city gate to meet with the city leaders. They would sit in the gate. If you remember from uh, um, Lot was sitting in the, in the gates of Sodom. You know, he had gotten close to Sodom. So it was, it was, it was kind of like the, the center of the town, if you will. It's where all the leadership would go. So they say, well, we got him locked in at night. We'll get him in the morning. And verse 3, and Samson lay low, lay low until midnight. And he arose at midnight. He took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So, did you catch what happened? They think they've got him in. They think they've got him corralled. They think they've got him caged in. We've got him. We'll wait till he leaves and we'll get him. He just walks up, takes the gates off the hinges, picks them up and everything. Now, these gates were were made of wood, but most city gates were also coated with some sort of metal so they couldn't be burned because everybody knows that if you want to get in, just burn the gates down. So they tried to coat them with metal to keep them or use some iron over them. So they were heavy gates. So he rips them off the hinges, but he doesn't just open them. What does he do? He hauls them up to the hill that faces Hebron. Well, how far away was that? Well, Hebron was about, Hebron was about 38 miles away. Some scholars believe that Samson carried the gates all the way to Hebron. Some scholars believe that he only went a few hundred yards to a hill that was sort of facing Hebron. So take your pick on whichever one you want to believe, but either way, he took them a lot farther than he had to take them. Why would he do such a thing? It was pride. Look what I can do. He knew they were out there waiting for him. He's, you're not going to trap me inside of here. And rather than just open the gates, what does he do? He throws them on his shoulders, on his back, and he hauls them up the hill, whether it be 38 miles or whether it be a few hundred yards. Who knows the answer to that? I think probably likely it's a few hundred yards. I mean, that would make more sense to me. I can't imagine him hauling them almost uphill 38 miles because most of the way to Hebron was uphill from there. But he, he goes and he throws them on his back and he, and he hauls them out of there, almost as if to say, you can't cage me. There's nothing you can do. What do you think this did to the Philistines? They're scared to death of him now. They don't want to go near him. They're afraid of him. Nobody's ever, they've never seen anybody like this. They've never seen anybody with any power like this. They've never seen any strength like this. They're amazed by it. We know where Samson's strength really comes from, don't we? His strength comes from the Lord. But Samson is down in Gaza spending time with a prostitute. And he's using the gift that God gave him to get him out of trouble that he should have not been in in the first place. He shouldn't have been there. But then in his pride, I believe that he says, you can't stop me. And I'm going to go right on and do what I want to do. Now look what he says in the next verse. Or look what happens. Verse 4, afterward it happened that he loved a woman, another one, in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, before we go any further, the valley of Sorek, that means choice or excellent vine. Choice or excellent vine. So what grows on a vine? Grapes. So that area is known for its choice vineyards. Okay, that's what it means. And he meets a girl there, or he likes a girl there named Delilah. We'll see that he loves a girl named Delilah. Her name is a Hebrew name. Delilah is actually a Hebrew name. It means worshiper. But she wasn't Hebrew. It's believed that she was a Philistine. 
You see, at one time, this area, this valley of Sorek, was under Israel's control. But then as they began to intermingle with the Philistines, they began to intermarry, they lost control over it, and it became back under Philistine control. So the name doesn't really have a meaning to it, although it means worshiper. I don't think she was named for that purpose. Most people agree that she was a Philistine by her allegiance to the Philistines here. So she, he meets this girl, Delilah. He likes Delilah. In verse 5, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him. Find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. The lords of the Philistines, there were five of them. We know that from chapter 3, verse 3. Tells us there was five lords of the Philistines. So they come up to Delilah and they say, listen, we want you to entice him. We want you to find out. We want you to go undercover. We want you to see if you can figure out why he's so strong. What's the secret to his strength? How come, how, how does he keep beating us every time we think we've got him? How does he, how does he do that? See if you can find out the strength, his, his secret for that. Look what they wanted to do. That we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you money. 1,100 pieces of silver. They made their intention clear. There was no deceit on her part. And in, from here till the rest of the chapter, we're going to look at Samson and Delilah. Look at Delilah. Look at the kind of, kind of person she is. There's no indication they were ever married in the scriptures, although some people suggest that Samson, Delilah was Samson's second wife, but the scriptures don't suggest that. Some scholars believe she was actually a temple prostitute. But where does her allegiance lie? It's with the Philistines. They made their, they made their motive, go entice him. How do you think they meant that? How do, what do you think they meant? Obviously they meant in a sexual nature. Entice him, bring him along, string him along, see what information you can get out of him. Samson is interested in Delilah, and she's going to get 1,100 pieces of silver. Doesn't mean much. It's about 150 pounds of silver. 1,100 pieces. In today's value, about $38,000. Not that much money. It's a year's wage, maybe, for an average wage. But it's not a whole lot of money, not compared to what you would think. You would think 150 pounds of silver. Now, whether it was more or less back then, I'm not sure. But uh, obviously, it was less than $38,000, because... We weren't around then, but it wasn't a whole lot of money is, is the point, that it wasn't like she was you know, being paid, um, she wasn't getting paid, getting set up for the rest of her life in that case. I want you to entice him, I want you to catch him, I want you to find out by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him because we want to afflict him. Verse 6, Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up, their, brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Remember her motive. Her motive is money. Her, she's, she's doing this for money. So she convinces him or she comes and talks to him and says, hey, tell me the secret of your strength. Now I want to share something with you on Samson's side. 
Samson says something to her. He makes something up. He says, it's seven bowstrings. Samson right there compromised. What should he have said to her? Well, he shouldn't have been there in the first place. But he's there. He's in this Philistine village. He's there. He should have said to her, no, I'm not telling you. But he doesn't say that to her. He compromises. I'm going to have a little fun. I'm going to play a little game with this. I can get what I want with this. She wants something from me. I want something from her. Let's play a little game. Let's compromise here a little bit. And as we see his compromise, it's going to get closer and closer and closer until it actually comes to the truth. And we'll see what it actually costs him. So Samson is compromising. But I also want to say something from Delilah's perspective. Ladies, don't underestimate the power that you have over men. Don't underestimate the power that you have over men. And let me say this, it can be used for godly purposes as well as sinful purposes. It's been said, behind every good man is a great woman, right? I heard, I heard a story, and i got to tell it to you. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard it. Um, George Bush, and uh, was it George Bush? What's his, what was George? Barbara Bush. No, that was the older one. Barbara Bush. George Bush and Barbara Bush were driving through Texas, and they stopped at a gas station. The presidential motorcade pulled over. I don't usually tell jokes, but I'm going to tell this one. They pull over to, I think it makes the point. They pull over to gas station, and uh, Barbara gets out of, the, out of the limo all of a sudden and runs and gives the, the gas station attendant a big hug. A big hug, a kiss on the cheek, and, and they're talking, and it's like, and, and George is in the back going, What's going on out here? You know, what, who is this guy? He's just a gas station attendant. So she comes and she jumps back in the, in the limo, and, and he says, Well, well who, who was that? And uh, he go, she goes, Oh, that was my boyfriend from high school. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. You know, he went from gas station attendant to the president of the United States. And, she looked, and he looks over and he says to her, well, honey, aren't you glad you're with me? And uh, you married me so you can be with the president of the United States? She says, oh, silly. If I would have married him, he would have been president. <laughs> the idea is, or the thought is, what we're going to see Delilah use her power over a man is for bad, it's for evil. For the ladies, don't underestimate the power that you have when it comes to your, to your husbands as well, as far as encouraging and using, what you, using the, the control and the power that you have over them to encourage them and to point them back to the Lord and to be involved in godly things. It, it, it works both ways. Just as much as you can bring somebody down, you can build somebody up. And just as much as you can tear it apart, you can bring it all together as well, too. So don't underestimate that. So she's upset. In verse 10, she says, Delilah said to Samson, look, you've mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you, have, what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Do you think he'd get the point at some? I mean, this is a process here. She did this to me once. Now, some scholars suggest that they weren't actually, the Philistines were hiding in the room. So they didn't actually, they were so afraid of Samson, they didn't want, so they wanted to find out if he could really be bound before they even showed the fact that they were there. So they, they were actually hiding somewhere, and there was just kind of like a game they were playing. Hey, the Philistines are upon you. He'd break up and break off his strings or break off whatever it was, and they'd go, ooh, we're not going there. 
hoping that at some point this is going to be the one that restrains him. So here we are in the second try. She binds him. And uh, where did I leave off? Verse Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom. And he said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. Three times. Samson doesn't get the picture. He gets the picture. He's compromising. He understands exactly what's going on, but he thinks he's strong enough. Now look at what it says in verse 16. It came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That is not a woman that a man wants to be around. She pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Just leave me alone already that he told her all his heart. And he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. After the battering, after the nagging, after the complaining, she finally gets him. She finally gets him. He was coming there repeatedly. This didn't all happen on one day. This happened over a series of visits as he would come visit with her. And we all know why he was coming to visit with her. He would come to visit with her and she would try to get more information out of him, get more information out of him. She comes to the point where she's pestering him, bothering him. So finally he says, I'm going to tell you. We look at Samson and go, Samson, that's just stupid. Why would you do such a thing? But it makes perfect sense. Because he'd compromised his vow every other way to this point and nothing had happened. He'd compromised his vow in the vineyard and he still had his strength. He'd compromised his vow with the dead animal and he still had his strength. And now he's about to compromise his vow with his hair. And if we know the story, we know that he's about to lose his strength. Look what happens. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her, brought her the money in her hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him, and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, to humiliate, to be violent with him, to oppress him. That's what it means and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. Samson, it was more important to serve Samson's flesh than it was to keep his vow to God. As he's face to face with a decision, Samson, if you want me, you got to tell me the truth. And Samson, and there's no doubt in my mind, he thinks, well, I really haven't been following my vow anyways. I still have my strength. He thinks he's invincible. He thinks he's invincible. God's been using me. I've been destroying Philistines. I carried those gates off. 
killed the lion, slayed the men. There's no problem with me. I'm good. No worries. I pulled my hair out of the loom. No, no, No problem at all. But what happens? When she shaves his head, his strength is gone. He doesn't know the spirit of the Lord or the Lord has left him. That's the mo- that, that verse is so sad. If you had hair that had never been cut from birth and somebody cut it off while you're sleeping, do you think you'd know it was gone when you got up? You better believe it. You ever get a haircut and you realize my hair's missing. He knew his hair was gone. He just didn't know his strength was gone. He didn't know the Lord had left him. Those are the scariest words that somebody can ever hear or ever feel. To to think that you are in the power of the Lord and you are not. To think that you are doing something for God with the power of the Holy Spirit and you're not. The Lord had left him. It's happened to King Saul. We'll see that when we get to 1 Samuel. The Lord had left him. Here's what I want you to take away from this. Samson probably didn't even know he would lose his strength. He hadn't kept his vow in a long time. God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. God put up with Samson's nonsense. God used Samson to accomplish his will during his sinful behavior. But God's long-suffering is not a license to continue in sin. God can use somebody today who's living in sin. And he can use them, and him or her. He can keep using them. And they can come to a point where they think, ah, it's no big deal. God's still using me. Look at Samson. Look at Samson. God was using Samson up until the point where Samson disregarded his vow, disregarded his God. Everything became prideful about him. Nothing can stop me because of who I am. Out of his pride, he turns over the secret. He didn't care about his vow. Out of his pride, he turns over the secret. God's long-suffering comes to an end. God's long-suffering is not a license to sin. When we take it that way, judgment will follow. That is so applicable today. You don't have to look far to see the number of pastors that have fallen from the pulpit in recent years. God's been using them mightily sometimes. But his long-suffering, his waiting for repentance, is only going to last so long. It's true in our lives as well. It's true for us too. At some point, when we think that we're okay, everything's working fine, God doesn't seem to mind this, that is the most dangerous place to be because judgment is on the way. Pride comes before the fall. Right? That's what he says. Pride comes before the fall. Such a dangerous place to be. Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, we can look at the life of Samson and think, I would never do anything like that. Oh, I would never do something like that. I would never. I would never do something like that. Be careful. Because the very thing that you think you would never ever do might be the very thing that Satan will use to bring you down. And trust me when I say this, Satan is patient. He will wait till the opportune time. He will wait till the time is right. He will wait till you've, your pride and your head is swelled so big that you are the one, you're the person, no one can do it like you can do it, and you'll come crashing down. My prayer is that never happens to me because it can happen to any single one of us. 
Any single one of us it can happen to. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that God even wrote this in the book. I think I would skip this if I was writing about my people, wouldn't you? Let's just skip over Samson. But I also think it's a blessing. Because I think that we see a couple things. We see that God can use anybody. And he will, if you'll let him. But we can also see that he's not going to let us run wild and do what we want. We need to contain the flesh. We need to not be led by the flesh. We need to make sure, we, we look at Samson's life, it's so easy to say, oh, that's just dumb. Why would you do that? Well, let me ask you, how many times have you told God you'd never do something again? And you find yourself doing it again and again and again. Well, Rob, what do I do? Well, you're going to see that Samson is going to come to a place of, of repentance. That's what, that's what it'll take. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. I have made it a point every year to make sure this church will never do everything, anything, just simply because we've done it in the past. I think the worst possible thing that could happen is we, we become to where we start doing certain things because we've always done them. I think it's possible for churches today, to, the Holy Spirit can be part of a ministry and it can start something and do a great work and then go, it's time to end that ministry. It's time to stop that outreach. It's time to stop that thing. And when he does that, it really is time to stop. You don't want to keep going under your own power. You'll, it'll be a burden. It'll be a nightmare. It'll be miserable. And you might accomplish what you set out to accomplish, but it, it will not be the same results. The Lord says, Jesus says, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. When ministry becomes a burden, it's time to back up and say, am I doing this or is the Lord doing this? Because I know for a fact, and I have watched many ministries, many, and I mean ministries, not only whole churches, but ministries with inside churches, go on and on and on and on and come to a point where they just come crashing down. And you just have to wonder, and I can't answer this question, but I can wonder, is it something the Holy Spirit had wanted to stop years ago, but they just continued with it for, because they, it's something they've always done? It's so important, even in your own life, the things that you're doing for the Lord this year, make sure you're supposed to do them next year. Don't just automatically take for granted because you've always done something that it's something that you have to do in the future. He might want to do something totally different because here's how he works. He takes you and he starts you off in this area and you learn and you grow. And then he pulls you out of this area. Well, that might go or it might stop. And he wants to put you over in this area. And he wants you to grow over here because he's got something for you to do over here. And for me, the greatest fear is in my life to ever be in a place where the Holy Spirit has left me in my ministry and I'm just doing it in my own strength and my own power. Because that would be, that would be sheer, sheer misery, I think. That would be horrible to me. And for all of you that are involved in ministries in the church, it's the exact same thing. Make sure God wants you to do something that you're doing. It is much better to quit and say, you know what, I think this season is over. It's time to take a break. It's time to stop than to continue on because you think somebody else needs you. Because you think that you have to. And I've said, it, I've said it before this way. Let me give you an example. If somebody's volunteering in children's ministry and they really don't like children, they really don't want to be around them and they think, well, if I don't do it, nobody will do it. If you're not supposed to be doing it, step down so the person that is supposed to be doing it can step up. It's better to be without somebody and let the need be seen so it can be filled by the person that God has called. Otherwise, you're just filling a need. And somebody that really is supposed to be there is sitting out here going, well, I guess they don't need me. You know, it's, it's okay that needs go unfilled within a church. It really is. It shows that, hey, we're, we're, there's needs to be done. There's, need, there's things to be done. It's okay that we wait on the Lord for things. 
It's okay that we say, you know what, I'm praying about something. Or it's okay that we can come to somebody and say, you know what, the Lord's put on my heart that this, that I'm not supposed to be the one that does this. Or, I, I, you know, I know I, I've done this for, for the last couple of years, but now I need to stop, you know. And I'm like, you understand what I'm saying, how important that is? But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. Verse 21, then the Philistines took him. They put out his eyes. He was already spiritually blind. Now he's physically blind. Brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow after, again after it had been shaven. He became a grinder in the prison. You know what a grinder was? That was they had a big stone wheel that was on a big piece of wood and it would roll in a circle on a, on, in, a, in, a, in a stone trough and they would put their grain in there and this wheel would, would be pulled, usually by a donkey, would be pulled over top of the grain that would grind up the grain. It had ridges cut in it. That was Samson's job. Walk around in circles all day long, pushing this stone wheel. Just literally just pushing it in circles all day long. Just, just walking in circles, blinded, can't see a thing. I think that's a job where you can think a lot, isn't it? He can't be distracted by what he can see but I bet his mind was running a million miles an hour. How did I get here, Lord? And his hair begins to grow. It wasn't his hair that gave him the strength, it was the Lord. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God for they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. Dagon was the god of their grain. Didn't Samson burn their grain fields down? Now they're praising Dagon because the one that destroyed their grain is now in their presence. If you're taking notes, write this down. Samson gave the enemy an opportunity to honor their false god. Samson gave the enemy an opportunity to honor their false god. He shouldn't have been with Delilah. He shouldn't have been in Gaza with the prostitute. He shouldn't have been doing things the way that he's doing it. He, in his behavior, because God has cast down judgment on him, God has left him, now that's causing the enemy to rejoice in their God. And they're actually saying, our God overcame the God of Israel. All because of his actions. All because of his sinfulness. They're worshiping their God because of his behavior. Samson gave the enemy an opportunity to honor their false God. Don't let that happen to us. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. And Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Understand what's taking place. Go get Samson. Go get Samson. Hey, Samson, come on out here. A lad, a little boy. Go get him. You, you bring the strong man out. And they brought him out in front of everybody. What were they doing? Making fun of him. We're not told exactly what performing was, but I'm sure people were sticking out their legs and tripping him. I'm sure he, he was falling all over the place, didn't see where he was going, sliding chairs around, watching him fall, just having a good old time. Look what our God did for us. And Samson says to the lad in verse 26, who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. He'd been thinking about this. 
This isn't a, this isn't a spur of the moment thing. Walking around with that grinding wheel, he's been thinking about this. He's been wondering. I wonder if he even felt himself getting stronger as he pushed the grinding wheel. I wonder. I don't know. Now the temple was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. And Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me. Remember me, Lord, I pray. O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me. I pray just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. He braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of his father, Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. Back to verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord, remember me, I pray, strengthen me. I think the Lord strengthened Samson because he wasn't about to let Dagon get praise over him. I think the Lord, you know, Samson wanted vengeance for his eyes being plucked out. Okay, but I think the Lord said, you know what? I am not going to allow this worship service of Dagon take place any longer. I believe when Samson called to the Lord saying, oh Lord, remember me, I believe, he's, I believe it's, a, it's a repentance. I believe it's a prayer. He knew who God was. He knew how far he had come. He knew where he was at. And, he, and God grants his request, let me die with the Philistines. Fine. And God uses Samson to knock over the temple. 3,000 people died there. 3,000. I think Samson was a man with wasted potential. I think he could have done so much more for God. I think he could have led armies. I, could, I think he could have freed them from the Philistines. But instead, what kept him from reaching his potential was his lust of the flesh, his desire for the things of the flesh, caused him not to forsake his faith in God. But he was literally destroyed by the weakness in his flesh. He was literally destroyed by his flesh because he kept seeking after the lust of the flesh one opportunity after another. Once he began to compromise, he thought he could handle it. He'd gotten so prideful, so built up. I don't, I've broken my vow in every other way. This probably won't matter anyways, and I'll get what I want. And it came crashing down. He took the long suffering of God as a license to sin. And it came crashing down on him. But in the end, he repents. I believe he repents. I believe he calls out to the Lord. Lord, just one more time. Use me one more time. And the Lord does. He steps up and he just uses Samson to destroy this worship service of Dagon. These people just blaspheming the Lord Jesus Christ. The God of the, not the Lord Jesus Christ, he wasn't there yet, but the God of the Hebrews. Blaspheming them. Saying things like, our God has delivered into our hands Samson. Dagon didn't deliver Samson into their hands. God delivered Samson into their hands. Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. And God says, that's enough. That's enough for Samson. 
He's had enough. And the Philistines here have had enough as well. I'm going to knock them. I'm going to knock this temple down. And Samson's life comes to an end. And the legacy he leaves is not one that we see or we get taught in Sunday school with the hero pushing over the pillars of the temple. The legacy he leaves is a man who could not control the desires of his flesh. A man that God could have used more mightily than he had, but he could not get his flesh under control. That will keep you and I from reaching our full potential as well. It doesn't mean that God can't use us while we're working through sin issues, while we're dealing with things. Samson's problem came when he didn't think it mattered anymore. Samson's problem came when he didn't think it mattered. When it was, oh, it's just another, I've already broken all the other parts of my vow. It's just another piece. He didn't, I don't think he knew that when he gave, when he told her, cut my hair, that he was going to lose his strength. He didn't know that or he would have never done it. Because of his pride. Because he thought, I've gotten away with it this long. The danger of sin is it can blind you from the truth. It can blind me from the truth. We need to be, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, and I like that term disciple. I don't think it's used enough today. I think disciple is, a disciple is somebody who is, who is being like, learning from. We need to, we, if we're going to be disciples of Christ, we need to deal with the issues of our flesh, whatever they are. And here's what I can be sure of. We all don't have the same issues, but we all have issues. You see, all of our flesh comes against us in different ways, but it's all dealt with the exact same way. When Christ died, we have power over our flesh. He gave us the power to overcome sin. Otherwise, what's the gospel? What's the good news? So we have the power not to be like Samson, but we have to guard our hearts because what happens is, as God uses us mightily, he will start using you. As you make yourself available, God will start using you. And you can never become complacent with where you are. You need to be constantly evaluating, Lord, what is it in my flesh? Because if you look down at your flesh and go, well, I don't have any problems. Oh, you're, almost, you're, you're in a bad spot. You really are. That's the worst place to be. If you sit here tonight and you go, well, there's nothing, my, my flesh is fine. I have absolutely no problems with my flesh. Lord, help you. Because that's what, that would, that's what Samson would say. Be careful. What's, what did 1 Corinthians say? Take heed. Let me turn back there again so I don't misquote it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Don't ever come to a place where, ah, it's just who I am. It's just a desire. God just gave it to me. Ah, it's just, it's just not a big deal. Everybody has that. Everybody struggles. No. No, we might all have flesh. We might all be dealing with it, but we never come to a place where we accept it. Let's always be people who call sin, sin. Let's be people who go before the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I messed up today. Forgive me for my sins. Don't ever present yourself as being holier than you are. Because as we all stand before the Lord, we're all sinners, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. It doesn't matter if I'm the one up here teaching. I need the blood of Christ just as much as you do. This is just what God called me to do. Don't ever get to that place like Samson because he really didn't think in his pride that he was going to fall. That's why he was able to tell her. It's no big deal. I've, already, I've got everything under control. 
I'll throw, them, I'll throw the Philistines off like I did before, he said. He knew his hair was cut. How can you not? He's been, been there his whole life. And he found himself stuck because the power of God had left him. Father, may we never be in that place. Lord, we're told in your scriptures the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin, and may we be people who are convicted. May we be people who are repentant. May we be people who desire to be like you, Lord. As we look at the life of Samson, may we not just say, oh, that was dumb. But Lord, may we look inwardly and see, Lord, is there anything in my flesh that I've accepted? Is there anything in my life that I've accepted that that is sinful? As the psalmist said, search my heart, O Lord. Create in me a clean heart. Lord, may we come before you really with the heart that says, search me. And if there is, may we repent, Lord, because forgiveness is just around the corner. It lies with us. Thanks for your work on the cross. Thanks for your word and your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.